0: Welcome to another Griffith University podcast.
1: Welcome to those of you who haven't come before or haven't come in a while. My name is Luis Cabrera. I'm the co-convener of the Griffith Asia Institute Research Seminar. Today we're very pleased to have Dr. Pradeep Pereira talking to us about the challenges of electricity supply in India, evolving market structure, and political economy issues. I will introduce him uh, more thoroughly in a moment, but... uh, I think this is a very interesting talk for me and probably for anyone who's, uh, who's traveled in India because you develop an intimate relationship with the uh, the electricity supply. You know, there's always this moment where the electricity goes out, whether you're in a, in a conference room or a hotel room or something, and, and everybody sort of waits, and then the fan starts spinning again. And he's like, yay! So um, very important. So in a d- daily experience, you you really get a sense for how important Electricity is in all our lives. So, uh, Dr. Pereira is an experienced electricity sector expert with extensive experience in dealing with complex political economy and public finance associated with electricity supply in developing countries. He's been with the World Bank Group for four years, and before that, he was 16 years with the Asian Development Bank. I'm
2: now with ADB before I was <laughs> with. Oh, I
1: see. Okay, sorry, it's uh, we got it a little wrong here. Um, so you were uh, 16 years
2: with the Asian Development Bank. Yes,
1: great. Um, previous work experience structuring finance, uh, financing for electricity sector investments in China, Vietnam, uh, Laos PDR, and Sri Lanka. Currently, he's heading the Asian Development Bank's energy sector operations in India, which amount to financing over of more than Australian $1.5 to $2 billion per annum. He has a PhD degree from Imperial College London in power system economics and a bachelor's degree from um, Sri Lanka, sorry, the University of Moratua yeah. in Sri Lanka and uh, we're very pleased to welcome him
2: today uh, good afternoon uh, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity and i wish to thank uh, uh, dr tapen sarkar for inviting me to come here and uh, give this presentation it's uh, really appreciated so basically those of you are, those of you who are not very familiar with asian development bank asian development bank is a regional development bank headquartered in uh, philippines manila uh, we have shareholders from uh, both developing countries uh, in the region as well as the uh, developed countries. Uh, the, our main shareholders are U.S., Japan, uh, China, India, and Australia. And Australia is the fifth largest uh, shareholder of Asian Development Bank. Uh, so we do finance uh, uh, infrastructure investments primarily, but also social infrastructure in the Asia-Pacific region. And we, in addition to financing, we also try to uh, provide the policy dialogue to improve the, the governance as well as other uh, related issues in these countries. And we, play, uh, we, we, we uh, also uh, try to promote the regional pro- cooperation among these countries, regional economic cooperation, in different sub-regions. So we have uh, different programs to promote regional cooperation in Southeast Asia, uh, in, in Central Asia, as well as in South Asia. Uh, this presentation I would be basically initially giving an overview of the Indian power sector for those who are not very familiar with the Indian uh, context. And then uh, I would uh, describe the uh, historical background and the uh, political and economic context for the power sector reforms in Uttar Pradesh in India. Uh, and then the, the recent uh, government initiatives uh, that were undertaken by the Modi government uh, since the last uh, few years to promote the, the, the quality of power supply as well as uh, address the issues of fiscal sustainability of subsidies to the sector. And then the related issue is the affordability and willingness to pay for electricity because the fiscal subsidy and the uh, affordability are kind of related uh, when you, uh, people can't afford to pay and the government would have to transfer resources from the government budget to bridge the gap and, 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 and the issues uh, related to that. Um, basically uh, if I am to talk about the Indian power sector, as you know India is also a federal uh, government just like in Australia uh, electricity is applied is a devolved subject to the federal, under the federal constitution of India so the electricity distribution electricity sector regulation uh, as well as uh, policy making at the state level is devolved to the state governments but the central government does still plays an important role when it comes to the overall policy and overall sort of financing of the sector is concerned uh, now now uh, There is a central electricity authority which basically sets the technical standards and that undertake the national level planning uh, at the national level and also they coordinate the interstate transmission network expansion and the uh, approval of the large power sector projects uh, that supplies more than one state. If a particular power plant is supplying a particular state, that comes under the jurisdiction of a particular state, but if it is a large power plant that is supplying more than one state, then it needs to be approved by the central government. And then the the Central Electricity Regulatory Commission, which is also a central government body, regulates the electricity tariff for interstate uh, generation power plants. These are the power plants that supplies more than one state and also regulate the transmission tariff for interstate transmission. For intrastate, uh, it comes under the jurisdiction of the the state regulatory commissions. And they also have a a, a power exchange. It's a a uh, real-time spot market that is also uh, regulated by the, the central government and then uh, the the central government also has uh, large uh, uh, power plants uh, they they said they have central government owned uh, companies these are majority owned by the central government like the national thermal power corporation national hydro power corporation and there there are several other such companies they do invest in large power plants uh, which supply more than one power, one state and, and then the Power Grid Corporation of India uh, basically operates the interstate transmission network, which, holds, which is also a central government body. In addition to that, uh, central government influences the power sector by initiating various uh, programs where they provide funding on concessionary terms to the states under certain conditions. Uh, this includes the recently launched uh, saubhagya scheme to provide 100% uh, uh, household electrification across the country, and then there's another scheme called DDUJJY, I think this is called this is basically to improve the rural electricity distribution sector and there's another program for urban distribution network expansion and then uh, uh, they also recently initiated a program called UDE, which was mainly uh, aimed at financial restructuring of the state electricity companies. I will come to more details of this because uh, uh, under the Indian Federal Constitution, the state central government cannot directly interfere with the distribution sector. So what they did was they entered into MOUs with the, the states so that the central government had some kind of a leeway in interfering and influencing the policy making at the state level. Uh, in addition to this, uh, the uh, central government also owns uh, several uh, dedicated uh, financial institutions that finance the power sector investments in the country. So through that also they can influence the the, the sector performance. Uh, Basically, uh, as you know, India is the second uh, uh, largest, uh, they have the second largest population in the world, uh, 1.3 billion people. Uh, There are around uh, 250 million consumers, uh, electricity sector consumers. And uh, in terms of power generation, I think uh, Indian power sector is about install capacity is around 350 gigawatts. Just for comparison purposes I think Australia has around 45 gigawatts, so it's about uh, uh, 7 times bigger than the Australian power sector. Uh, The the energy generation is also around 1,000 this number is a few years ago I think uh, the latest number is 1,300 billion units. Again for comparison purposes Australia generates around 250, so it's about one-sixth of the Indian uh, sort of generation. Uh, India has uh, very, uh, India used to have a power shortages uh, until recently. Uh, there The peak time shortage and the energy shortage was around 8 to 10%. It has now been virtually eliminated uh, due to the lot of investment that were made in the generation sector in recent times. Uh, still there are very high losses in the power transmission and uh, distribution. Some of these are technical losses, some of these are commercial losses uh, due to illegal use of electricity and also uh, they have a very big problem in collection collection, uh, collecting the bills from the consumers especially in the rural areas Uh, now they have uh, India has a very uh, complex uh, power market it's one of the most uh, complex I would say in the world and probably the biggest because uh, India has the third largest uh, power market in the world after US, China and US, uh, but both China and US doesn't have a national power market, whereas India has a national power market. Uh, it provides uh, both long-term power purchase agreements where the generators uh, enter into uh, long-term contracts with the, uh, with the uh, either distribution companies or with large consumers to uh, provide power. And they can also enter into uh, medium-term contracts of uh, one to five years. Uh, these are negotiated contracts, so these can be uh, bid out, these contracts, these uh, power, power purchase uh, requirements can be bid out, and then the investors can uh, submit their bids, and then, the, then the, the, the purchaser would enter into a contract with the party that provides the lowest bid. In addition to that, they have a short-term power market, which is uh, less than uh, one year. Uh, these contracts uh, uh, can be arranged at short notice uh, between the generators and the distribution companies in addition to that they also have a, a spot market which is a kind of a day ahead market we uh, yeah, yeah, uh, generators can uh, sell their excess uh, sort of generation to distribution distribution companies as well as large consumers on day ahead basis uh, now if you take the indian i think the the legend is too small if you take the overall power generation capacity it is primarily dominated by the coal uh, uh, but if you take uh, coal, contributes about 57% of the installed generation capacity uh, in terms of capacity. But when it comes to the output, it provides about 76% because the coal power plant has a higher utilization rate compared to uh, renewable plants. And renewable uh, contributes about 17% of the installed capacity, but they generate only about 7% because uh, renewables are available only during uh, certain uh, times of the year. Uh but if you take the capacity additions, uh, I think this is a black uh, sort of bar is the coal capacity additions. Uh, this is starting from uh, 2014, I think. And the, uh, if you can see, until 2017, there's about 20,000 megawatts of coal capacity that has been added every year. But since of late, during last two years and, and also going forward, there's going to be a drastic uh, decrease in the new coal capacity addition and uh, what is in uh, yellow is the solar capacity addition. So you can see that there's a big increase and a big jump in the new uh, coal, uh, solar capacity addition. At the same time uh, the wind capacity addition which is in orange it's also becoming quite substantial. So there's a shift in the generation mix from uh, coal to renewables going forward uh, and the uh, the other graph the the uh, on the other left, on the right side of the screen is about the capacity shortage. As I mentioned earlier, the the capacity and the generation shortage has substantially decreased over the last uh, six seven years due to the investments that had been made. Uh, now, in com- when it comes to the thermal power, which is the coal power plant, the utilization of coal power plant had reduced from 65% to close to 60% uh, uh, or oh now. It I think it is even less than that. Uh, one of the reasons is the availability of the coal. Uh, the domestic coal production has not uh, kept pace with the thermal uh, coal power capacity addition. So some of these coal power plants do not get adequate coal from the domestic sources. And some of them are basically meant for imported coal. But uh, due to economic factors, uh, the, the coal uh, power generation using imported coal has not become economical. That is mainly due to uh, the increased uh, capacity additions on the renewable side because the renewable power plant has become very economical and they have brought down the, the power market price. Now with the current power market prices, yeah. generating electricity using imported coal has become uneconomical. So uh, a lot of these coal power plants that were originally meant to meant to operate with the imported coal power plant now they are not operating. So they, they have curtailed their production. Uh, to whatever that can be generated using the domestic coal. And the domestic coal, uh, there are some regulatory issues. I'm not going to get into details of that because uh, domestic coal uh, is usually allocated to the government-owned coal power plants. And the private sector investors, private sector coal power plants, uh, do not get adequate coal supply from the government coal power plants. And they were originally planning to generate using imported coal, but now because of this reduction in the prices due to renewables, are not doing that uh, and also there are other issues uh, that uh, the discoms i think distribution companies uh, are in financial stress so they are not making timely payment to these generating uh, generators uh, and the discoms are also curtailing their sort of purchase of electricity from coal power plants and power market because uh, of financial reasons so all these re- all these issues are contributing to a lack of uh, demand for coal power generation going forward now this has now translated into a, a financial problem because a lot of investors who invested in coal power plant are now struggling, uh, and uh, there's around uh, sixty billion to eighty billion dollars worth of investments which uh, had become stressed as a result of this issue. and now it has become also a banking sector issue because this power plant had been funded with uh, bank loans and uh, and uh, and these, uh, these power plants are now defaulting on those loans. Uh, because these had been funded under a limited recourse basis, the the banks cannot go behind go after the the, the investors. So they had to recover the, the, the whatever the loans that they had given to the sector, uh, the coal power plants, using the project cassettes, because these had been project finance. And uh, now I think the government has to intervene and resolve this problem; otherwise, it can create a banking crisis. Uh, yeah, I mean, these are the kind of issues that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the, a lot of these investments were made in 2014-15 when India had a, a gap in the supply and demand. But that gap had now been eliminated. And as a result, the prices had come down. Uh, and and these, uh, some of these power plants were merchant power plants. Basically, they did not have a long-term power purchase agreement. They were planning to generate into the market and expecting somebody to buy at a higher price. Now the prices had collapsed, and as a result, uh, this problem had come up. Uh, and the high level of renewable brought down the prices. And there's a less than expected growth in the demand for electricity, because the industrial growth in Indian economy has not kept pace with the with the expectations. So the Indian uh, economic growth is mainly driven by the service sector, which doesn't require that much of uh, energy. And uh, so these are the, the basic issues that I mentioned earlier. Now the renewables are uh, coming up uh, quite a big way. Uh, and the renewables I think now have reached uh, parity with the coal power in 2017. And in the future most of the new additional gen, uh, capacity additions are likely to be coming from renewables. And India also set a target of 175 gigawatts of uh, renewable uh, capacity additions by 2022 they have already achieved uh, somewhere around 75 gigawatts and they are well in course to achieve this target. But that would have its own set of uh, issues. I'll come to that in my next slide. Uh, yeah, now I think it's, uh, it's around 70 gigawatts, 75 gigawatts actually, uh, because this, these numbers are a few months old. And uh, the Indian renewable energy development has taken a different path to what you had seen in Australia. I mean in Australia what I understand is there are so many rooftops, uh, solar rooftops at retail level, Uh, whereas in India these uh, solar development is mainly uh, large-scale ground-mounted solar power plants in solar parks. So what the Indian government did was they uh, basically created these solar parks (coughs) where they uh, 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 purchased the land and uh, basically invited private investors to come and invest in these parks and they provided all the infrastructure. So that basically brought down the the cost of uh, solar power generation in a significant manner. Uh, and uh, but there are some issues now because uh, uh, India is also trying to promote the domestic manufacturing of uh, solar panels because most of the solar panels in India, I think, as well as, as like in any other country, are coming from China. And so India is trying to save, basically promote the domestic industry. So they introduce uh, safeguard duties and excise duties, and I think they also. There was a WTO case. I think then they had to remove some of these taxes, but uh, still uh, there are some taxes which make some of these solar plants more, little more expensive than what was originally expected. And also there is a grid integration cost of uh, solar and wind. So once you once the penetration of renewable goes beyond a certain level, there are certain uh, uh, cost that you need to accept that you need to absorb because the renewables are are, are intermittent. So you have to have other capacity that can operate, that can provide what is called the base load generation. And there has to be a mechanism to compensate for that. And in India there is no such mechanism at this moment. So uh, there's, there are certain hidden costs in uh, renewable, which is, which need to be acknowledged, I think, when you have more and more renewable in the system. I suppose the same thing will apply in uh, other countries as well. And India also, basically, uh, there is there's an exemption from the transmission charges for the renewables. Now that is also not sustainable going forward. This is sustainable when the renewable is only a small sort of pro, uh, renewables provide only a small share of the generation. When it becomes a fairly significant share of generation, this becomes unsustainable. So these are some of the issues that that they will have to address as they go forward with this uh, renewable energy based uh, generation capacity addition. So power transmission in India is virtually. Uh, quite good, I mean they have now a fully integrated national network, all regions are integrated and synchronized, uh, which has been achieved fairly recently. Before that India had different regions and different regional grids, just like in Australia I think here, I think I understand Western Australia is not integrated with the rest of the country, so India has now managed to have a fully integrated uh, uh, synchronous network. Uh, And uh, they are now investing in the so-called green corridors that is basically to link the renewable energy generation uh, uh, zones with the demand centers. And they also now open up, they have opened up the transmission to private sector, where private sector companies can bid for transmission projects and uh, and compete with the state-owned transmission companies on a level playing field. And India has transmission interconnections with regional countries, with Bangladesh, and Bhutan, as well as with Nepal. Uh, now, distribution is probably the the, the top the, the theme of my presentation today, uh, because the distribution remains the weakest link in Indian power sector. That is where the the, the political economy issues, as well as consumer interactions, affordability, willingness to pay, all these issues uh, becomes relevant. Uh, and distribution still I think due to uh, low affordability by the people need to be subsidized by the government I will come to the details of this in the context of one particular state in India because distribution is virtually handled at the state level so uh, basically if you take the Uttar Pradesh Uttar Pradesh is the largest uh, state in India in terms of population although it is not the largest uh, in terms of uh, area it has uh, 220 million people and uh, if it is a separate country, I think it would rank among top three or four countries in the world. Uh, it's, uh, But it is one of the poorest as well. Uh, it's uh, located uh, closer to the national capital, New Delhi, just outskirts of Delhi. But its uh, per capita income is around 50% of the national GDP. And its uh, socio-economic socioeconomic uh, data, data, data like uh, mortality rates, uh, literacy rates, most of these indicators are well below the national average. So it's one of the backward kind of uh, uh, states in India, although it is uh, one of the largest in terms of population. Also, from a political economy point of view, I think this state elects the largest number of uh, members of parliament, around I think one-fifth, I think, of uh, members of parliament comes from there. So they have a lot of political clout and uh, most of the Indian Prime Ministers had come from there. (coughs) but uh, that hasn't translated into uh, economic development or affluence in this state. So, uh, I mean, uh, there are some governance-related issues there. Now, here I think the electricity was a virtually, uh, vertically integrated uh, uh, kind of a utility. Electricity was supplied by a vertically integrated utility until 1999. It was responsible for both generation, transmission, distribution of electricity during that time uh, there were no regulatory mechanism for the power sector the government uh, basically decided what were the tariffs and, and government set the, sec, uh, the 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 policies for the sector and uh, there was no independent mechanism to regulate the the functioning of the electricity sector and uh, the, the the performance in of the electricity sector and especially this vertically integrated utility was quite bad they had very high losses uh, unmeted consumers, illegal connections non-enforcement of payment disciplines, all kind of problems were there the cost recovery was bad there was no transparent policy for subsidizing the UPSB, this, uh, u- this utility whatever their losses uh, either were sort of taken, carried forward and some of them were funded through banks, some of them were funded by government whenever they come to a crisis situation, but there was no transparent policy of providing subsidies and, uh, and, the, and this company due to financial stress, under-invested in the, in the network, and as a result, the, the availability of electricity become, became very poor, and uh, there had been a uh, lot of load shedding. The rural areas received less than 10 hours of power supply per day. Urban areas may be a little better. Uh, I think you are from India, you might uh, remember, I think, because yeah, I think that was the situation before 1999. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, earlier the UP had uh, Below average kind of economic growth the the the, the GDP growth of UP was around two percent less than the national GDP growth during that period and uh, that was one of the one of the reasons for this was the low industrialization of UP compared to the other part of the country, and the service sector-led growth happened in the southern part of India, not in the in this region and the uh, Uttar Pradesh was also ruled by uh, populist local regional parties. These were political parties that uh, were mainly in power only in that particular state and they had uh, kind of vested uh, interest in providing cheap goods to the people to get elected and they were not uh, very much uh, conscious about the long-term sustainability of of their policies and so they uh, did not uh, uh, sort of enforce the electricity tariff increases. They did not enforce the payment discipline. Uh, and but they promoted total electrification uh, just to sort of uh, keep the people happy but uh, that was at a price of uh, underinvestment and uh, low quality of service. But in uh, 1999 uh, uh, there was a change in the state government, the uh, the BJP party which is now in power also came into power at that time and uh, that there was an alignment of uh, the state government and the central government in 1999. Uh, and uh, during this time, uh, uh, India has already also started the economic liberalization process in 1991. And, uh, and there was an increase in interest in power sector reforms globally, not only in India. Uh, after the, the power sector liberalization in UK, I think, even in Australia, I think some of the power sector liberalization happened during that time. And World Bank uh, promoted this uh, quite aggressively in uh, many parts of the world, including in India. And uh, World Bank uh, initiated the power sector reform process in uh, in some other state in mid-90s. And then uh, in 1999, uh, when there was a political alignment between the central government and the state government, World Bank uh, intervened in Uttar Pradesh to also to promote the power sector reforms, given the, the sort of... Uh, given the weak uh, sort of uh, status of the power sector of, of, at that particular time. Uh, so, there was basically the, the weak financial situation of uh, the utility, the fiscal stress of the Uttar Pradesh government. Uh, at the same time, there was a political imperative to extend the electricity grid to the rural areas. And the subsidy burden has become uh, unsustainable. And, uh, and also, there was another issue that happened. Uh, in the past, there used to be cost subsidies from the industrial consumers to the residential consumers. But because there was a lack of uh, industrial growth in Uttar Pradesh, the share of industrial consumption had come down and uh, this crop subsidy had become kind of uh, untenable because uh, the, there were more and more residential consumers whereas a less share of, uh, lower share of uh, industrial consumption. And uh, under those circumstances, there was no uh, private investment in the sector and the government was not in a, in, a, in a position to make the investment due to the, their fiscal constraints. So these were the main drivers for the reform process. So the, the key aspects of the reform process was to unbundle the, this utility into a generation company, transmission company, and several distribution companies to set up a regulatory body to depoliticize the tariff setting mechanism. Then attract private, private investments to the generation and improve the, the financial viability of distribution through uh, tariff increases as well as enforcement of uh, payment discipline and eventually privatize distribution companies and then improve the quality and reliability of electricity supply. That was the objective. Let's see what happened. Uh, and then I think uh, the government had established the necessary legal <coughs> foundation. They enacted the Electricity Regulation Act, also Electricity Reform Act. Under that, they set up a regulatory body, a quasi-independent body to regulate the electricity tariff. The, the utility was unbundled into five different, comp- uh, actually seven companies: one for transmission, one for generation, and five uh, distribution companies. All the liabilities of the erstwhile Uttar uh, Pradesh State Electricity Board ab- was absorbed by the government, and the new entities were set up with a clean balance sheet. And World Bank has provided 150 million dollars for the urgent capital investments in the sector. So the initial sort of roadblocks were. Put in place, but then (coughs) uh, the uh, the elections, the state elections, were coming uh, in 2002, and uh, the state government, which promoted this electoral reform process, (coughs) lost interest in in pursuing this agenda because uh, they had to uh, sort of provide certain uh, uh, certain uh, uh, kind of uh, they had to take certain actions uh, to attract votes. I think so basically they were not that keen on uh, electricity tariff increases initially at the time of uh, reforms i think there was a one off tariff increase but then there was supposed to be annual tariff increases but those were not uh, those were not uh, pursued uh, and the uh, at that time uh, at the time of reforms only about 43.5% uh, i mean only about 56.5% of energy input was billed to the consumers the 43.5% of <coughs> electricity was basically stolen uh, by by people through illegal tapping and under metering and under billing and various kind of things, and in, and even that 56.5 uh, percent of electricity that was billed, only 80 percent of the people were paying the bills. So actual cash collection was less than less than 50 percent. And <coughs> but the government did not provide the subsidies to cover the financial losses of the of the of these companies that were set up and tariff filings were delayed because the elections were coming tariff increases were delayed so the losses did not uh, reduced and the attempts to privatize these uh, companies was not successful there were resistance by the employees as well as there were disagreements between the the investors and the government on the baseline conditions and the uncertainty on the reliability receivables from the consumers there were a lot of uh, uh, sort of issues that were not addressed to attract the private investors to the sector. So as a result, uh, the, the expected uh, improvement did not happen. And then there was a change in the government in 2002, and the new government that came into power had a populist agenda, which was, uh, uh, I think, a, a regional party, not a national party. And uh, and then World Bank uh, decided to suspend their loan because uh, some of the conditions that they have set for tariff reforms and fiscal transfers, trans, uh, transfers were not complied with. And then uh, <coughs> the political parties that came into power reiterated their commitment to expand the coverage, network coverage while maintaining the tariff slope, and that has increased the financial losses of the sector. <coughs> uh, and the, the, although the Regulatory Commission uh, was established, and they have issued orders uh, to, uh, uh, to install meters, to reduce the losses, to uh, submit annual audited accounts, establish a fixed asset registry. None of these orders were enforced or complied with. So uh, this was kind of a half-hearted uh, uh, kind of reform process. The government had initiated it under certain uh, pressures, but when the election pressures came, uh, I think they kind of relaxed on that. And then there was a change in the government, and the new government did not uh, pursue the, the, the reform process. And uh, this situation continued uh, even beyond 2008. There was a change in the government, but the situation did not change. The same kind of problems persisted. During this time, the uh, Indian government uh, established this uh, open access policy, where the larger consumers can basically buy electricity directly from generators, after paying a uh, wheeling charge to the transmission and distribution uh, network providers. But in Uttar Pradesh, uh, this was not promoted. Although it was legally allowed, the utilities put a lot of roadblocks. So if a consumer, industrial consumer, wants to buy electricity from some other generator, they put a lot of uh, informal barriers and various kind of uh, obstacles uh, to prevent that practice it's because they didn't want these industrial consumers to move away from... Them to some other direct, direct, uh, direct uh, sort of uh, purchase of electricity using the open access policy, and at this time also the government introduced this uh, renewable purchase obligation policy uh, to basically uh, uh, promote the renewable energy purchases by the the, the dis- distribution companies. Because during that time renewable energy was more expensive than the thermal energy. It is not the case now, but at that time it was the case. So the government put a minimum amount of. Uh, share that the distribution companies were supposed to purchase from the generators but again this was not really enforced in Uttar Pradesh because that would <coughs> create a financial cost to the, to the sector and uh, at that time I think it, they have also realized this privatization is not going to work because private sector itself is not interested in coming into a situation like this so instead of privatization they uh, uh, try to do uh, franchising where the risk of the private sector is rather limited Uh, franchising in the Indian context is mainly uh, to take over the existing assets and operate them over a period of time under certain circumstances and the the investment commitment by the the franchisee is uh, not as uh, much as a full concession so uh, Agra city which is the city where the Taj Mahal is located was franchised to a private company Uh, but the uh, but there were some issues with the transparency of that transaction. And also the, the power was provided to this franchisee at a fixed price. And when the power purchase price, power purchase price of the sale increased, it was not passed down to this franchisee. So he was making money at the expense of the, the utility. So there were some issues related to how this uh, transaction was done. And the, the the financial losses of the power sector keep on increasing because none of the underlying problems were addressed. Uh, it's, I think these numbers are in rupees, not in dollars. I think there was a typo there. Uh, it started from 160 billion in 2007. By the time 2011, it came to around 420 billion. This is about at that time, I think this is about 10 billion rupees, 10 billion dollars. So uh, this situation continued even. After 2012, there was another change in the government in 2012 in the state, uh, but nothing much has changed. Uh, and uh, there was a, in 2013, a situation uh, there was basically a crisis situation because UPPCL was not in a position to purchase energy from power generators. So they were almost about to default on their payments to the generators and generators threatened to cut down supply. At that point, I think the central government intervened and they have introduced a financial restructuring plan where the, uh, the state government approved a tariff increase of 35% and they also agreed to increase tariff 9% every year. And the central government has provided uh, 15 billion rupees to settle the immediate dues to the generators. <coughs> but again, uh, what happened was uh, after 2014, uh, these tariff increases that were to be done after the initial tariff increases were not implemented and the politicians at the state level push for increased electrification and increase the supply hours without any concern for financial viability and fiscal sustainability. Because in in, in this context, if you provide electricity 24 hours a day, you would lose more. So just to limit your financial uh, losses, even if the capacity is available, the distribution companies curtail the duration to 12 or 14 hours or whatever so that they can maintain the, the, the losses at a manageable level. But the, polit- the politicians are pushing them to increase the supply hours without permitting them to increase the tariff. So as of 2016 when uh, uh, when this new set of reforms started, uh, rural areas were getting 10 to 12 hours of supply and urban areas around 16 to 18 hours of supply. The rest of the time they didn't have electricity supply. And uh, only about forty-two to forty-five percent of the rural households had access to electricity—a legal kind of action, a connection. And eighty-two, eighty-five percent of the urban household had access to electricity. But there were many people who were having illegal connections through hooking and various other means. Then the accumulated losses of UPPCL has now reached around seven hundred billion rupees, and annual losses was around hundred billion per year. Uh, and uh, Upp sales recovery, I think, has increased from so around 45% in 2003 to around 65%. It's still, I think, it's it's quite low, and the the losses, distribution losses, the technical losses, and the commercial losses, combined losses, is around 40%. Was around 40%. And that was the situation uh, in 2016. I think when the government, uh, the new, uh, the Modi government, decided to uh, initiate a major reform process in the power sector. Uh, so this uh, this uh, this uh, reform process included transfer of uh, liabilities from uh, UPPCL to the state government. So around 75% of the liabilities, some 400 billion, was take absorbed by the state government. Remaining liabilities were <coughs> refinanced with bonds issued with the government guarantee. And then uh, the, the UPPCL had to agree to improve their performance, to reduce their losses from in 2016 to 15% by 21 Uh, and this this was by installing meters to all the consumers because most of the consumers in rural areas were not metered, they were paying a fixed tariff based on on their connected demand and eliminate the gap between uh, revenue realisation and cost of supply and formalise informal connections, these illegal connections and bring them to the billing system and various other technical means to reduce the losses and also to reduce the power purchase cost by optimizing power purchase. And then, uh, after taking these measures, if, 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 it is, if there is a still a financial loss, then the state government was supposed to finance part of it. The idea was to give the state government an incentive to take action to reduce the losses. So that was the MOU that the central government had signed with the state governments. So their position is that if the state governments are not taking these actions to reduce the losses and are not permitting the tariff increases, then they should pay the the loss uh, and also this mandated that uh, if a state government has uh, decided to give a tariff uh, subsidies to a particular segment of the consumers then that, sub- that, that difference between the cost of supply and the tariff approved by the state government should be paid by the government as a revenue subsidy to the utility so all those measures were introduced under this uh, scheme and uh, it has uh, three components basically to reduce the, the losses using various technical means and collection improvements, and then the increase the tariff through tariff, uh, tariff adjustments and also to reduce the cost through efficiency improvement and purchase cost requirement purchase uh, power purchase cost reductions, and then uh, uh, sort of uh, improve the financial sustainability of the utility. Uh, now during that time uh, uh, there is an alignment of political uh, forces between the state and central again because in 2017 the BJP came back into power in uh, Uttar Pradesh. So there was an alignment of the political uh, parties between central and state government that helped. Now in parallel with this cave the Modi government also launched a very ambitious road electrification program to provide 100% household electrification. So they, are, uh, they have added 8 million uh, new connections in Uttar Pradesh be- during the last 18 months. Uh, this was completed in March 2019, right before the the elections were announced. So they uh, kind of uh, they have pushed this program targeting the elections to provide electricity access. But at the same time, they have addressed the some of the the, the fundamental problems of the power sector. Uh, but the, the improvement in terms of technical performance, in terms of loss reduction, collection efficiency improvement, was not as good as expected. But this is kind of an interim improvement. I mean, most of these initiatives are still ongoing. So I think we expected there would be more improvement as we go forward during next couple of years. And 2 million unmetered connections were converted to formal connections. The revenues had been increased. The tariff increase was approved in 2017 and another tariff increase is pending approval at this time but the gap between uh, revenue realized and cost of supply still remains quite substantial due to uh, increase in the power purchase cost because the coal pi- coal prices had gone up and that had increased the the cost of supply yeah so I think uh, I still have few slides uh, conclusion. Yeah, I think basically there are a lot of uh, unfinished uh, uh, items under this the reform process. These are still going on. I mean, uh, there are some of the issues are related to this uh, institutional issues because uh, this institution has been managed in a very bad way for a long time, and there are people who are used to certain way of functioning. There is collusion between consumers, politicians, local politicians, and. Uh, uh, and the staff of the utility when it comes to the bill collection, payment, all those things. Now they're trying to uh, de-link, uh, they're basically trying to address that problem by introducing various technologies like smart meters, electronic meters to minimize the human interaction when it comes to the revenue collection and also they're trying to outsource the meter reading uh, to private contractors and uh, <coughs> there are various measures that are now being taken but the political will is the key and the enforcement, which is more of a governance issue rather than a technical issue. So whether that, that will remain as we go forward uh, remains an issue. The yeah. The conclusion yeah.
0: slide you have to go by.
2: Yeah, I think I will skip those. I think... Uh, Yeah, basically, uh, basically the restoring financial viability in power sector is difficult when there are competing interests due to political reasons. I mean, that's the underlying message that we can get from this. Uh, the the political interests are mainly to do popul- populist measures to provide tariff electricity at a lower tariff, provide uh, unmetered connections, provide free electricity to farmers, various kind of things. But they don't realize the, the fiscal sustainability of this, or the financial viability of the power sector and the investment requirement of the sector. And now it seems that there is that realization within the highest levels of the government, and they are taking actions to address this. But uh, whether it is going to be sustained when the election pressures and various other pressures come, is still uh, left to be seen. Uh, And government is now also trying to move away from uh, this kind of uh, subsidies to various consumer groups, a direct cash transfer kind of uh, subsidy policy where the poorer segments of the people will be provided cash into their bank accounts that they can then use to uh, uh, pay for various services instead of uh, providing subsidies, in-kind subsidies uh, like, like they've been doing uh, in the past. And uh, various vested interest groups are now at play uh, which might want to uh, sabotage these kind of reform processes. But uh, based on our experience, we we can observe that there is a lot of uh, strong commitment from the government to address this problem and resolve it. But uh, the the central government's uh, influence, I think, is limited to a certain extent due to the the nature of the Indian federal constitution, where the power sector is a devolved subject to the states. So I think uh, I had to skip some slides, but I think I would be happy to answer some questions that you might have.
1: Great. Thanks yeah. very much. Thank you. Okay, so if you just uh, catch my eye, I'll put you in the queue. Leon. Um, or your second. Sorry. Sorry.
0: Go ahead, Leon. Uh Two questions, really. The first one is interesting. Right? You, earlier in your piece, you talk about the coal power generation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really the, the demand <laughs> is falling. So it's a political economy question, really. What's the incentive for mining companies like Adani, for example, in Australia, or other multinationals, Indian multinationals, to start digging up coal? What's what's the political economy mechanism that is working there? So that's my first question. Mm -hmm. And the second question is that they partly answered it. You know, the government said that we will give you more direct uh, income transfers rather than, you know, those subsidies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. subsidies. But I don't see sort of a, a very clear uh, proposal to have a market mechanism. So we know one of the reasons for underinvestment, of course, is that you know those guys are not going to get a decent rate of return. Mm-hmm. So has the government I ever thought of having split the demand into two? One which is more social, you know, the villages and so mm-hmm. there's some control price mm-hmm. and perhaps a control uh, fixed uh, volume of supply for a given year or whatever. And then you have a much more a market-driven mechanism whereby industries who are doing well, who are prepared to pay, will be able to get access to electricity <coughs> by paying a high price.
2: Yeah, I think uh, regarding the, your first question, I think uh, the companies like Adani, I think uh, they had done this uh, in Indonesia before. Mm-hmm. I think they got into a big problem there yeah. because they purchased a coal mine in Indonesia uh, and then uh, they built a power plant in India uh, to basically generate electricity using coal produced from mm-hmm. their mine in Indonesia. And then they entered into a fixed-price uh, contract to uh, buy, uh, sell electricity uh, to, uh, to several distribution companies. That was some time ago, maybe 10 years ago, I think, maybe less than 10, maybe 5 to 10 years ago. And then uh, Indonesia introduced a resource tax. And uh, Indian regulators did not allow them to pass that down to the consumers. So then the whole economics of uh, that power plant uh, became questionable. And uh, they, are, they could not operate it. And now uh, apparently they have defaulted the loans, I think, to the banks which funded that uh, coal power plant. Now it has gone into the Indian Supreme Court. I think the Supreme Court recently, I think I saw somewhere that had allowed them to pass part of that uh, resource tax to the consumers and then they managed to renegotiate the power purchase agreement that they had signed with uh, their customers. So they might uh, start uh, generating pretty soon, but for the last so many years they, they were not. Now coming back to this, uh, yeah I mean uh, in India at the moment uh, there is a shortage of uh, coal that, that is there but at the same time uh, the uh, the coal power plant is not, plants are not economical and competitive so how they are going to generate electricity from coal imported from Australia is left to be seen. I mean it depend on, I mean when this, when this mine I think if they develop it, it might take, at least, I don't know, maybe a few years for them to produce coal from that then to bring it to India and then to use it in uh, generation uh, coal power plants in India. I don't know whether that is their strategy or whether they want to just develop the mine and sell coal somewhere wherever there is a demand for coal. Because bringing coal from outside to India uh, paying for shipping and all those things uh, doesn't make sense at this moment under the current market. But things can change... Uh, Going forward, maybe five years down the line, market dynamics might be different and the and the electricity prices might be different. But now I think with this uh, renewable sort of price reduction, electricity prices are coming down. Demand in India is also not growing very fast. So uh, I can't see any sort of uh, economic rationale to buy, bring coal from Australia to India and generate electricity at this, at this moment. So they might know better than, than yeah. we do. Just curious. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, regarding uh, your second question, I think, yeah. I mean, uh, the the privatization of electricity sector in India had worked in urban areas. Like in Delhi, I think electricity distribution is privatized, where the consumer mix is different, the affordability is different, people can pay more, and the industrial consumption is more. Uh, in, in most of the bigger cities like Delhi, Bombay, Calcutta, I think electricity is privatized. It is working there, and and the quality of supply is pretty good. But when it comes to the rural areas, I think it's a different ball game. It doesn't work in the rural areas because of uh, various uh, political reasons. I mean, the pay- enforcement of payment discipline is difficult in rural areas because you can't disconnect people just because they can't pay. I mean, there are socio-economic reasons, political reasons. People don't have money. That's one of the reasons. And there are not many industrial consumers in these areas who can cross-subsidize so that is uh, as a reason I think uh, now I think what they're trying to do is to bring private sector as uh, contractors like management contractors, collection agents, billing agents, on, with some incentive component. So the the, the the commitment from the private sector is limited. They do a, they provide a the service rather than they have to take, a, take over a business and run it. So the business risk from the private sector point of view is managed and it's limited. As the government is taking the risk while they are trying to bring the private sector to achieve certain efficiencies which government can't achieve using their, because of uh, kind of uh, historical reasons or the legacy issues. Because the, the, the these companies have employees who had been there for 30, 40 years and you can't change their behavior. And if they are into certain practices, uh, it's difficult to change them. So that is why they want to of bring new people like private sector as collection agents, billing agents, so that they will do that work instead of the people who had been doing it for the, for the, so, for the past.
0: My question is only really about the, 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 the industry or companies who can pay more, Yeah. but this seems to be, I mean, no, even though is it's more proportionally yeah. manufacturing and so on, it's still quite significant because India is a you know pretty big country, so why not try to have...
2: That's no, industries uh, can pay more, yeah. uh, but there's a limit that you can uh, tax them. You're not taxing you're no, no, no. them, yeah, yeah, you yeah, That's why, yeah. I mean, because, I mean, they have other choices. For instance, in mean, India, I think a lot of industries are having now captive power generation, because the industrial tariffs are high, and the yeah. supply from the grid is uh, is not good, not reliable. A lot of industries have their own small power plant. Uh, so and they can move away so and now I think they also provide this open access okay, okay. they, they, they are supposed to provide open access although it, in UP it is not third Uttar Pradesh it is not practically possible to have open access so industrial can uh, basically buy electricity from a generator and pay a small wheeling charge if they do that there is a now a regulatory requirement they have to pay a cross subsidy charge because that cross subsidy that they would avoid they would still have to pay uh, but I mean uh, the thing is that uh, it's there's a limit that you can overcharge industries to and cross-subsidize the, uh, the, the other segments using the industrial tariff. So
0: my point is yeah, not overcharging, sorry. Okay, sorry it's market a couple price. Questions, yeah. Yeah, a couple questions. No, the
2: industries pay above market, uh, but but you can't keep on increasing their tariff. i the screws to
1: skewer something. That's question. No,
3: just a, a comment. I've been doing a bit of work in India, and we've been looking at the level of cost of energy. And at the moment, renewable energy is coming in at about 50% of the cost of uh, fossil fuel-generated energy. Yeah. Now, what that generally leads to is a total disruption. Now, if that happens, uh, the fossil fuel car stations will have to close. Do you see a situation where that's going to happen, or will the government have to increase the subsidies to keep this running?
2: I think it is uh, already happening. I mean... uh, I think now I think the, the coal generation cost is between 4 rupees to 5 rupees in India, whereas uh, solar power is coming around 250 to 3 rupees. I think your numbers are correct. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the moment I think uh, the coal generates around 75% of the generation mm. and renewable is around 8%, I mean solar and wind. Yeah. The the hydro is a, a different game. I mean hydro generates another about 20% so about 15 to 20% uh, i mean uh, yeah i mean that is one reason that the market prices had come down and some of these coal power plants which were expecting to sell into the market without having a long term power power, power, plant, power purchase agreement are struggling to find buyers and that is why uh, they are now there. some people have stopped construction of these power plants some had been built mm-hmm. but they still they are not operating because they are not economical i mean and are, that's why they are Plant utilization factor had come down from 65% to less than 60%. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's already happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think one other reason is that uh, when you have more renewables, there are certain power system cost because the the like for instance when you have more renewables, I think not only in India, I think everywhere, you need to operate the remaining power plant in a more flexible manner. Yes. Uh, you have to have a very steep ramp up and down. You have to have produce your minimum generation level of coal power plants so that would have various other costs that the coal power plants will have to bear yeah. and your ancillary cost increases uh, the frequency control and all those things which, which coal power plants can provide which renewables cannot provide yes, yeah. uh, would have to be provided by coal power plants now in a normal power system when there were no not many renewables these services were provided by traditional tra- uh, thermal power plants at no cost Yeah, but now I think there has to be a mechanism to charge and, and to reward the, the traditional coal power, power plants for providing those services, so that's a regulatory requirement that needs to be introduced. I think it's, it's, the, the studies are being done. I think in India, there people are aware of this issue, yeah. but uh, regulatory uh, mechanisms haven't been introduced as of now. Uh, just one more, one more question. Um,
3: we're looking at uh, putting in uh, storage, large-scale mm. storage, gigawatt storage, and the uh, cost on that initially We started. Looking
1: about $300 per kilogram, yeah, capital cost.
3: On our numbers, we're looking at the moment that if we get that down to under $150, virtually mm-hmm. um, overnight, if, the, if this was available, it would close down all fossil fuel because it's, it just wouldn't be. Uh, it just totally, it would be totally unviable mm-hmm. as it's heading at the moment. And The other problem that uh, India has is uh, 2030. They've said that. Um, sell anymore, internal combustion cars,
2: they're all electric. Yeah.
3: And there's two problems there. One is they have to duplicate the size of their actual grid to facilitate this, and the other one is the, uh, where do they get this energy from? So there's there's a a whole paradigm shift occurring in India, which... uh,
2: The storage, I think, uh, uh, energy storage, I think is still uh, not really a priority for the government. Mm. I mean, there are some... uh, pump storage, hydropower plant that are under construction. The battery storage, uh, uh, I mean, uh, still it's a very early stages. But the uh, recently Indian government uh, would like to position India as a manufacturing sector for electric batteries, energy storage. Uh, They came up with a new uh, policy package to uh, provide incentives for battery manufacturers to come and set up uh, uh, manufacturing plants in India. Uh, And as a part of the incentive package, they are going to create a domestic demand for batteries. Uh, like I think China already has a head start over India when it comes to the battery manufacturing. Yeah. But India, I think, what they what they have... Well, I had some discussions with the Nitya who is the main policy body in India, about this. So they have realized that uh, on, the, on the solar panels, uh, they have missed the boat. Because uh, by the time they realized uh, that India need to manufacture solar panels, China had already captured the market. Now, in the electric batteries, I think they have now realized that uh, they need to act fast. So, recently they introduced, I think, after the change of the government, after the elections, they introduced a new incentive package, invited uh, uh, various battery manufacturers to come and invest in India in battery plants and uh, provide the demand through uh, various uh, uh, regulatory interventions. One of them is uh, large-scale energy storage. But, I mean... uh, But still, I think they are talking about a few hundred megawatts or maybe a couple of gigawatts at most. I mean, given the system is, power demand in India is around uh, 200 gigawatts, peak demand. It would be only a fraction of that. And I don't think it would have a big impact in terms of the power system operation. Yeah. And on the electric vehicles, again, uh, 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 there's a bit of uncertainty. I think there was an announcement that uh, by 2030, all new cars to be sold in India should be electric. Uh, then I think uh, the the automobile industry I think uh, uh, protested, and now I think government had kind of uh, backtracked on that, and they are saying that they would uh, encourage electric cars, but they are not going to make it <laughs> mandatory. <laughs> yeah, but again uh, this uh, this, uh, but I think uh, all the car manufacturers in India uh, are now developing electric models, mm. and some of them had now come to the market. I think most of them will come within the next couple of years. Now, once these cars, I mean, they also need to invest in uh, charging infrastructure, I think, in Delhi. In India, most people do not have garages, I suppose, people park uh, on the, by the side of the road. So uh, you need to have uh, uh, charging infrastructure. So that, I think, again, in Delhi, I think there are some pilot projects going on. So it's happening. Yeah.
1: Okay. So we have two remaining questions. We'll go ahead and take them together. So you first, sir.
4: So, uh, like you mentioned that, uh, especially in rural uh, areas, when there is uh, people are not paying and uh, the accumulated losses of UPC and they goes up. Yeah. Central government uh, pitches in and provides that financial restructuring and all those things. Now, instead of that, uh, why the government uh, don't uh, install you know solar panels now in the rural areas? That would be maybe one kind of investment one time, and then that solar panel will generate power and. Uh, that problem of, you know, again and again, giving subsidy and funding, mm-hmm. that may uh, get okay. reduced?
1: Yeah. Okay. Is it... Is it uh, yeah, sorry. That okay. And then one more. Yeah. Professor Xiu. Uh, well, a
5: couple of... Th- only the factual one. In the last 10 years, India has been up more capacities in terms of regeneration than any country in the world. Who mainly financed? generation capacities. Second, 3 gigawatt renewables. Are they large scale or small scale? Third, when you have 800 kilowatt DC, 750 kilowatt AC transmission, how many lines have you built and who has financed them?
2: Okay. Yeah, sorry, I think starting with uh, your question, uh, regarding the solar at the retail scale, uh, that's what basically what you are telling.
4: Maybe a village can yeah. have a solar panel hmm. installed so that...
2: you know. Yeah, so I think basically uh, the current uh, uh, policy in the government is to have these large-scale solar plants that are feeding into the transmission grid and then through the grid uh, it would get distributed hmm. among everybody. Yeah. That's the approach because that has a certain cost advantages because we have the economies of scale uh, if you are going to do it at a retail scale, at the, even at the village level, I mean there are some uh, initiatives. I will come to that, but uh, especially for the irrigation sector, uh, but not, not mainly for the household sector. Uh, uh, I think uh, uh, if you take, if you install solar, let's say, at a village level, the energy is fric- generated only during the daytime. So during the night time, uh, uh, you have to b- buy it back from the grid. So, uh okay, you other option, store that? if you're going to store then the cost will be huge. Mm. The battery so cost is uh, is uh, is quite expensive okay. currently. My
4: just question was that instead of you know subsidizing again and again yeah I know, the I know so
2: now that is why okay. they have now decided to uh, adopt that approach for the farming sector, so they are now planning to separate the feeders supply the farmers and the households, mm-hmm. and farmers do not need electricity during nighttime okay. So the, those feeders that are, farming the, that are providing the electricity to the farmers,
3: mm-hmm.
2: would, uh, now government has come up with a scheme called Kusum. Uh, they are trying to convert them into solar feeders. So they are now giving incentives to the farmers, either to install uh, uh, solar panels at their own farm, maybe few kilowatts. So they just
4: have to give their land. Cost yeah. or will be borne by government.
2: Yeah, government will provide the, because farmers are getting free electricity. Yeah. They are not going to invest in. Uh, in uh, solar panels. Right. So instead of uh, giving free electricity, mm-hmm. the government is going to do a one-time investment right. of a solar panel. That's what I mean. And and then or mm-hmm. to convert and to have community-based sort of solar uh, systems mm-hmm. to convert the entire feeder into yeah. a solar feeder mm-hmm. and take it off grid. And that scheme has already been launched. Which part of India? Uh, throughout. I think it's uh, it's also one of the new initiatives under this new government. It's called Kusum. Okay. Uh, it's, it's in the Ministry of New and Renewable Energy yeah, they are the ones who are promoting it mm-hmm. so it's already there I mean.
4: so then that problem of again and again funding yeah the farmers that yeah. go down yeah. we'll have, have to see
2: whether the farmers are going to adapt this because very new I mean, this is very new initiative like uh, states in, like states like Punjab I think farmers are getting free electricity they don't pay anything
4: most of the states no.
2: yeah so that is what uh, I think the government has come up with uh, to address that issue I uh, I think uh, your question, I forgot the sequence. <laughs> well,
5: the first is so three gigawatt renewables. Whether they are in the large scale, the renewables or small scales, you've got a lot
2: of. No, I mean three gigawatts would be a very large renewable. You know, I think it would be one of the largest power plant, renewable plants, if it is to be a single. So you power. have
5: the large ones, so then you need to build the transmission. Yeah. Infrastructure. Mm. Okay. That's my first question. Yeah. The, the second question is: as I said in the last decade, India has built up more capacities than any other country in oh. terms of generation. Who has the finance?
2: Okay. I think uh, basically, uh, I think China has built more capacity than India during.
5: Uh, not in the last decade, or maybe not since 2008
2: okay anyway sorry yeah so it's not uh, imp- yeah anyway so i think uh, most of these uh, power plants are funded by the domestic investors uh, i mean the uh, india has a kind of a dual system they have these uh, state owned large uh, generation companies called generation companies large uh, state owned generation companies so they have invested in these power plants and they were funded by also the local banks uh, and uh, this uh, uh, these are state-owned generation companies are credit-worthy credit entities. They have very good credit rating. They can even issue bonds uh, outside India to raise funding. Uh, and uh, there, are, there are a lot of private investments also in power generation. These are mainly Indian private sector. That would
5: be the capture power plant, is it?
2: Sorry, captive. We'll talk about
5: that later. And the last one that's about are <laughs> high-voltage transmission. Yeah. How many lines
2: have you been... I mean, there are many high-voltage transmission lines. I can't remember the number of lines. But this transmission is also invested... in terms of the
5: 800 kilowatt DC Mm -hmm. and 750
2: AC. Yeah. So, the 800 kV AC, I think uh, DC, they have lines connecting the Northern India with South India. I mean, all these uh, 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 inter-regional transmission connectivities at those voltage levels. So uh, those voltage, those transmission lines are connecting different long-distance transmission lines. The
5: reason I'm asking question because most countries do not have. So that's the reason I'm asking how many India has built. Doesn't
2: matter. I can. Yeah, I mean number. I I mean that. I I think I I have. Sorry.
1: Okay. Well, I invite you to speak to Dr. (laughs) (laughs) afterwards. Okay, uh, I think uh, that takes us just about to time. Uh, what a what a really interesting and, and fact-filled uh, presentation! I learned an awful lot today. <laughs> right. Please join me in <laughs> thanking.